Here at Waterstone, we focus on living and loving like Jesus. In practice, this means that we connect with one another, engage in justice, and serve sacrificially. We are so glad that you're here and invite you to join us in person. If you're able to attend weekend services, we gather on Saturdays at 5.30 and Sundays in person and online at 10. We look forward to connecting with you. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Oh, it's so good to be back with all of you. Um, I, if you don't know me, my name is Paul Joslin, and I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I was just away on a two-month sabbatical. This is my first uh, week back. Um, I told Steffi on Monday that it felt like the first day of school after summer break, um, like I should have had like my backpack on and taken a picture or something. Um, it's so good to be back with you. We really missed uh, being with you. Uh, and I'm really glad to be here. Um, I came back, and my first day back, my office looked like this. Um, there was uh, a kind of, <laughs> while I was gone, it had turned into like the storage closet, and then they finally like cleared all that out, and then I came back, and they had wrapped everything um, in wrapping paper. So a big shout out to Kay Suji and Rachel Pyburn for kind of heading this up. Um, yeah, my desk, everything on my desk, like my books, my pens, like it took me an hour just coming in the first day to unwrap everything. Um, I'm still finding books on my shelves that were wrapped that I like didn't see yet. So uh, hopefully I'm not missing anything. Uh, I think the funniest part, though, is, is like typically what happens when you wrap a bunch of stuff. Like, you know, you wrap stuff for a kid or a grandkid. Like, they tear it apart in like two seconds, right? And it takes you forever. And so the joke's kind of on them because I think this took them two weeks and I was done in an hour. So it's like, who really got pranked? I don't know. Um, but no, it really is uh, so good to be back. Um, missed staff, missed all of you. We were able to, to be here a few times over break. Um, and I thought I'd actually start today. Before we jump into the parable that I just read, by just sharing a little bit about sabbatical and, and kind of what happened in about five minutes, if you'd like to hear more, I'd love to go grab coffee or drink with you and, and, and kind of hear about what's been going on in your life. But um, sabbatical was really great. Uh, it was super challenging and disruptive and restful and like everything in between. I think I went into to it thinking that, you know, if I took work out of my life, then um, life would just slow down. And turns out we have a toddler and my wife's in a PhD program, and so life didn't really stop. Um, and to my disappointment, I also thought that like, maybe all my stress and irritability and like how I'm kind of a grump at home, like that was just work-related. Um, turns out I pulled work out of my life and I was still a grump, so that's just me. <laughs> and so I just gotta work on that, and it's, uh, it's not the externals, it's what's going on in here. And so um, I did some work around some of that and just um, some soul care. And uh, you know, I am a person who really believes in the power of productivity. Like, I'm a person with checklists. I get stuff done. I have, like, lists for everything to do at my house. I have lists for, like, my marriage. I have lists for myself. I have lists for work. And so I went into sabbatical thinking, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to have all sorts of time to just be, like, so, so productive. And honestly, it, it kind of came from a, a place of guilt a little bit. Like, if I'm getting this break and everybody else still has to do stuff, I just have to make sure that I make the most of it. Um, and so I just thought I had a lot of stuff to do. I had, I had a ton of lists. And um, God really, he like pulled the e-brake on me hard and said, if you're not going to slow down, um, I'm going to slow you down. And so like I had plans to renovate our entire kitchen in two months, like thinking that was going to happen somehow. And we had the lady come, she like 
took all the measurements, drew up the plans for us, sent us the plans, and then, like, never heard from her. Like, she just never sent us the quotes for the cabinet so we could go buy them. And I emailed her, like, four times. Like, I don't know if she's alive at this point. Like, I keep checking on her. Like, are you okay? I just never heard anything. And there, there were just different circumstances like that. Um, our dog got cancer the first week of sabbatical. Like, there was just, like, life happens. And um, I felt like God was really asking me uh, to pause. And I did not like that at all. I got super depressed. Um, I wanted to be productive. I wanted to get stuff done. And um, what I found in myself was I, I think I had fallen prey to this mentality that I see in the Western church where um, I, th I think we much more, people who work in the church and maybe even some of you, we, we believe in the power of productivity um, and don't really believe in the power of prayer and the power of presence. Um, and I think, honestly, what happened to me in sabbatical is all the things that I like to accomplish, all the things I like to do for Jesus were taken away. And I had to be a disciple of Jesus and just sit at the feet of the rabbi and allow him to speak to me, not so that I could speak to all of you, um, but to work on some of the things that I needed to work on. And so that was a lot of what sabbatical was, was coming back to the presence of the person of Jesus, I think. Um, if I'm honest with you, um, Jesus had kind of become an idea in my life. And his kingdom had kind of become an ideology. And it's the way that the world is fixed. But, but I've forgotten that the, the invitation Jesus has for us is to experience him and his presence and to do life with him. And his kingdom isn't just some, like, plan to fix the world, but it's a, a way we can participate in life with him. And so um, I, I feel really refreshed. I'm so excited to be back. I'm so grateful uh, for the time away, office, wrapping paper excluded, um, and looking forward to, to kind of diving back into life with all of you. Um, and just thank you for the gift. I know, um, yeah, I, I just, I know a lot of you are like, I would love a two-month break, and I didn't get that. Um, so I'm, I feel very grateful um, for that. Um, I think that was about all I wanted to share about sabbatical. So you ready to dive into some parables? Yeah? All right, let's do it. So uh, do we have um, any teachers in the room? Anyone who's a teacher? I know you're on summer break. All right, Mike, your first hand was up. Can I talk to you for a second? Mike is, uh, nope, <laughs> he says. <laughs> All right, so Mike is a teacher. Uh, and Mike, would you agree with this statement? That, that at least part of being a teacher is helping kids, students, whoever you're teaching, um, to help information be clearer to them. Is that at least part? Yeah, right? Like you're trying to impart wisdom, knowledge, and part of that is to make things clear. Would most people agree with that statement? That's at least a part of teaching. It's like Yoda says, like it's pass on what you have learned, right? Like that's what a teacher is supposed to do. Um, and most of us would agree that Jesus is a master teacher, right? Like people agree with that? I expect a little more enthusiasm, but that's all right. We'll get there. Like, yes, we got a few. Um, yeah, so he's a master teacher. Teachers are supposed to make things clear. And then we come to the parables. And, and I don't know if you feel this way, but it, it feels like they are clear as mud. Like so many of the parables, even in the stories themselves, as Jesus is talking about these parables, People come to him and are like, what are you talking about? Like, no one has a clue. They're all so confused about what Jesus is saying. In fact, sometimes Jesus will, like, teach parables to the whole crowds. And then you'll see the disciples come up to him afterwards. And it's like Peter comes up to Jesus like, hey, Jesus, that, that parable you told, I, I mean, I, I got it, obviously. Like, I know what you were talking about. But I, John, I I'm not sure John got it. So would you mind explaining it for him so he could understand what you were saying? 
Like that feels like what's going on in these stories. Everybody hears the stories that Jesus is telling and they just seem to walk away a little bit confused and not quite sure what to do with them. And I think we can come to the parables and we can have a similar mindset of like, oh, it's just like supposed to be so clear. Jesus is trying to explain stuff. He's teaching us stuff. And then we feel like maybe there's something deficient in us when we can't quite figure out what it is Jesus is trying to say. And I think when that happens, the temptation is, is to misread the parables and actually make them more simple than they actually are. And so we have a tendency to come to the stories of Jesus that he told. And, and one of the ways we misread them is that we try to turn them into moral fables. We try to make them these stories that can just be kind of like sink down into one pithy statement about what we're supposed to do. And so we make the parables of Jesus like the tortoise and the hare. Slow and steady wins the race. And we try to figure out how to like just kind of, okay, what is it that I'm supposed to do? Or we can come to the parables and we can think that there's some sort of, of like metaphor for really abstract doctrine. And so we think about things like salvation or the end times and Jesus tells stories and maybe it's some sort of like symbolism for systematic theology and he's trying to com communicate these really hard truths to understand in simple stories. And the problem with both of those readings is that we end up making the parables about ourselves. And when we come to the parables, and what we really do is we say, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? What is it that I'm supposed to learn from this? What am, how am I supposed to act? Or we come to the parable and we say, okay, what is it that I'm supposed to believe? And, and hear me, I, I believe the parables have a lot of things to say about that, but that's not the place in which we start. Because those aren't the questions Jesus was trying to answer in his day. Jesus was speaking and teaching in a very specific context to a very specific group of people, and they had questions about the kingdom of God. In fact, as we go through the parables, one thing that you'll notice is Jesus starts almost every parable the exact same way. The kingdom of God is like. See, Jesus, when he's talking in these parables, he's not talking about me, and he's not talking about you, and he's not talking about what we should do or what we should believe even. What Jesus is trying to do is, is reveal to us the nature of his kingdom. Because he's speaking to a group of Second Temple Jews who have been living in Palestine under Roman occupation and in exile for hundreds of years. And they're asking questions like, what is the kingdom of God like? When will the kingdom of God arrive? Who is allowed into the kingdom of God? How do I participate in the kingdom of God? And I think in order to understand the stories Jesus tells, we have to come with those same questions. Otherwise, they feel a little bit like postmodern art to us. Anyone ever, look, you know the paintings I'm talking about, right? Where you look at it and you're like, I don't know if a five-year-old did that or like some master painter, right? And you're sure, you're, you're like positive. I know there's some sort of beauty or like hidden truth or meaning in what this painting is. But like, couldn't they have just done a flower and I could have appreciated that? And I think that's what happens with the parables is we, we come to it with the wrong questions and then we look at them, and they don't quite make sense. And we're like, Jesus, couldn't you have just been a little clearer? I don't think Jesus was actually trying to be clear. I think he was, he was trying to cause us to question and ponder and subvert expectation. And so when we come to the parables, we need to ask some of the similar questions. I think 
as we go through this series, a helpful framework for us is there, there's kind of three things that Jesus is often trying to do in his parables. And he doesn't always try to do all three, but you'll see them throughout this series. And these are the three things Jesus is often doing in the parables. One, he, he's revealing the nature of God's kingdom. And so he says the kingdom of God is like. And then he tells a story that helps us understand what God's rule and reign is supposed to look like. What it looks like when God's kingdom comes to earth. When God's kingdom will come to earth. And he starts filling in some of those gaps for us. He also reveals to us the value of God's kingdom. And, and that might sound like a moral fable, like, oh, he's just teaching us what we're supposed to value and what we're supposed to do. But, but it's actually a little different than that. Oftentimes when Jesus tells a parable, he's not telling us what to do. He's actually explaining his own actions. Because he shows up and says the kingdom of God is near and then starts eating with sinners and tax collectors. And people are like, that doesn't sound right. Like, I, I don't think that's how the kingdom of God is supposed to come. And so Jesus begins telling parables, explaining his actions and what he is doing and the activity and work that he is doing in the world. And then finally, Jesus' parables often create a kingdom crisis where it forces his audience, it forces us to ask ourselves the question, is that really the kind of kingdom that we want to be a part of? If that is the value and nature of the kingdom of God, do we want to submit ourselves to that? Or do we just kind of want to go our own way and do our own thing? And so it forces this crisis moment where we have to decide whether or not we want to be a part of Jesus' kingdom vision. And I think when we can put those pieces together, that's when we begin to understand a little more fully what it is Jesus is trying to do. And so the parables reveal the nature of the kingdom, the value of the kingdom, and they force us to a crisis moment. And, and that's really what we're going to do today. I would love to take a little bit of time to walk through this parable, try to extrapolate some of the meaning for us. Um, but I'm actually not going to maybe answer the question, what do we then do? I'm not necessarily going to get to the point of application because I think what Jesus is trying to do in these parables is say, apply this to your life. Ponder the meaning of this truth. Wrestle with it. Try to find the beauty and the meaning. And so if we don't get to walk away with a simple like, hey, go and do this. And so it'll leave us in a little bit of tension when we leave today, and I hope you'll be okay with that. Does that sound good? Great. It's okay if you say no, too. That's all right. You're still here. So we'll <laughs> all right, let's go ahead and dive into this parable of Jesus. So starting in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, it says this. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And so what I think I want to do as we just dive straight into this, this parable is I actually want to give you the answers to the test ahead of time. Because just a few verses later, this is one of the only parables that Jesus does this. Jesus actually explains to his disciples what he's talking about. They come to him like, hey, we didn't really quite get that. Can you explain it? And he does. And so I want to give you the cheat code up front so that as we walk through it, you can see what Jesus is intending with this story. And so these are some of the players in the parable that Jesus tries to explain. The, the sower, the person who comes and sows the field with the good seed is the son of man. It's Jesus come to establish his kingdom. 
And the field that the Son of Man is working in, that's the world. That's everything that we see. It's the principalities. It's the power. It's people. It's the people you love and the, your enemies. It's, it's everyone in the world. The wheat is the people of the kingdom. They're the ones who have heard the message of Jesus and have responded to it and chosen to follow him. But Jesus says there's also an enemy, the devil, who's sowing weeds in the same field. And the weeds are people of the enemy. And they're people who are sowing discord and evil and causing chaos in the world. And what Jesus says is that they're growing side by side. And what we have to understand is, is this is actually an illustration from first century um, Palestine where there were actually laws against this kind of behavior. It was a kind of a, a bioterrorism where people would go to their enemy's field, sow weeds to destroy the crop that was supposed to feed their enemies. And so Jesus is using this real-life illustration to explain something about his own kingdom. And what he says is that as he is sowing, as he is working and, and bringing about the kingdom into the world, there is an enemy who is also at work at the very same time. And so the story goes on, and the owner's servants come to him, and they said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? And essentially, the question that's being asked of Jesus and what's being asked in the story is, okay, if God's kingdom is good, if, Jesus, you are the Messiah, if you are the one who is bringing God's kingdom, then what's with all the weeds? Like, why is there so much evil and suffering? Why are the Romans still here? That's really the question they're asking. And I want you for a moment to put yourself in, in the place of, of a, a first century Jew. You have been waiting your entire life for the kingdom. Since you were a small child, you've been hearing prayers and, and, and questions and stories about how one day the Messiah will come and set all things right. How he will get rid of your oppressors and the people who are committing evil against you. He will come and rescue you and your family and your people from evil. And you have been telling these stories for generations. And then a person like Jesus comes on the scene, and he's great. He starts healing the sick, and he starts feeding the hungry, and he starts casting out demons. And it looks like, wow, is this finally it? Has it finally come to fruition? Is the kingdom here? Is this God at work? But then you stop. Because as you see Jesus doing all of those things, you see the Roman soldiers watching him. And you still feel the weight of oppression. And all of the sinners and tax collectors and sex workers, they're still around too. And, and, and no one who's evil or was outside of, of God's will and rule and reign is being expelled in fact, rather than Jesus getting rid of oppressors, he's healing their children. And instead of chastising the sex workers and kicking them out of Israel, he's inviting them to dinner with him. It would cause some question and tension in your life of, is this the kingdom of God? Like, like this isn't meeting the expectations of what we thought was going to happen. 
And for the servants, it's the same way. They see the weeds growing in the field and they're like, okay, God, if you're good, if, if you were the good sower of seeds, if you were a good farmer, why, why allow the weeds to flourish right next to the crops that you're trying to grow? And the answer the owner gives might surprise us. He says, an enemy did this. Where did the weeds come from? There's an enemy at work in the world side by side. And what Jesus is saying is that, yes, my kingdom has come, but there is still an enemy who is at work in the world. And, and I'll be honest with you. This was a point in the story where I had to pause and do some reflection this week. Because the idea that there is an enemy, the devil, who's at work in the world, that, that honestly to me sounds kind of silly. Like it sounds more like Dante's Inferno than, and Hocus Pocus than it does like my actual experience. I think at times we can, can kind of numb ourselves or forget that there is a spiritual reality that, that we are not always aware of. And so we see suffering in the world or we see evil taking place and we cry out and say, God, why would you allow this? If you were good, if you were just, why would you allow this to take place? And I think sometimes in that wrestling, we actually lay evil at the feet of God and say that he's the cause of evil because he's so sovereign, he's in charge, that he's the one that's making these things happen. And what Jesus is saying in this story is that the evil we see in the world is not the, the, the seeds that God is sowing. It's the seed of the evil one. I wonder if sometimes we have an, an over-realized sovereignty of God where we attribute evil in the world to God and forget his goodness and forget that there's an active enemy who wants to do us harm. That was hard for me this week thinking about that reality. And so the answer is that there's an enemy. That's why there's weeds. And so the servants are like, okay, well, uh, well if you're not going to do anything about the enemy, then, then maybe we should do something about all the evil and suffering and weeds in the world. And so the servants come and they ask him, well, well, do you want us to go and pull them up? Is that our response? And really what they're asking in this moment is like, okay, if you're good and your kingdom's coming, but you're not really doing anything, then, then maybe you're just waiting to see if we will join you, if we will take action, or if, if we're just not like, you know, pursuing the kingdom hard enough. And so we should go out and we should pull up the weeds. We should destroy evil in the world. We should get rid of the evil people. We should rise up and take up arms against the evil evil oppressors. And you can understand and empathize with the sentiment that we've got to do something. Like surely your plan is not just to, yeah, the kingdom of goodness will grow, but also evil along with it. Like that can't be the solution to the problems we see in the world. Maybe we need to do something. And Jesus' answer would have been shocking for his first century audience as I think it is for us today. No, he answered. Because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned and then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. Really? I just let the good and evil grow side by side until the end of the age and... And then you'll burn up the evil and the good will be taken into your, like, really? See, I think for, for most of us, when we look at the evil in the world, when we look at God's kingdom, when we hear sermons about God's kingdom or read about God's kingdom, talk about, like, is this really the best plan? Like, God, couldn't you have just, like, shown up? 
and taking care of all of it? Why this like two-part place where, where you show up and the kingdom is present, but then also you just allow evil to continue flourishing until sometime when you come back? Like why not just, let's just, hey, we could just fast forward through all that and you could just do all that now and then none of us have to suffer. None of us have to experience abuse or hardship or corruption or suffering, or evil, or death. Like, oh, let's just, let's just get past all that, and you can go ahead and bring your kingdom now. It'll be great. And Jesus seems to be communicating something different in the story about the nature of his kingdom. That it doesn't quite meet our expectations. And that if we're expecting that kind of reality, it might actually be somewhat of a disappointment to us. If we're expecting to Jesus ride in and take out all of our enemies and solve all of our problems and make sure everything is just the way it was supposed to be, then, then we might be in for disappointment. You know, I think if, if we read this story as a parable, uh, a moral fable, then it's really easy to say, like, okay, well, what do I do with it? Well, there's evil in the world, and it's coming alongside the kingdom of God, and, and I guess I'm not supposed to pull up weeds, so I guess I just, like, don't do anything? Like, I, is that the, that's kind of like just don't pull weeds. That's the, the, the main catch, big idea of the story. But that doesn't sound quite right either, right? Like, if you think about evil in the world, I, I don't think the church, the people of God, the, the kingdom is, is just supposed to be passive in the face of evil. Like, are, are we just called to some sort of passive tolerance and be like, yeah, you can just do whatever you want and burn everything up? And, like, that doesn't seem to, to vibe with other places in Scripture where Jesus tells us not to be evil and to resist evil and to act for justice and peace and to bring shalom and God's kingdom into the world and to participate in that. So, so we can't quite read it that way. So we have to go back to those questions. What is the nature of the kingdom of God and what is this parable trying to reveal to us about the kingdom of God? And I think at its base level, one of the main things that Jesus is trying to communicate to his audience and to us is that the kingdom of God is not a movement or a place that eradicates evil yet. That the kingdom of God has come, it has arrived, it is at work, it is growing, it is flourishing. And yet there is still evil in the world, and, and followers of Jesus should not be surprised when they see suffering and evil and oppression and still experience subjugation. It's as if Jesus is saying to us in this parable, I know you thought that when I came, everything would be set right, but that time has not yet come. See, Jesus is, is not meeting their expectations in this moment. The Messiah was supposed to come and eradicate evil, not invite evil people to dinner. And I think for some of us, it creates a tension. I'm not sure we always want that Jesus. And, and sometimes it can cause us to question, like, is God really at work? And what Jesus is saying in this moment is that the presence of evil does not negate the presence of God. That God is still at work even when we look at the world and say, what is happening? And it makes me think of, of my yard. Um, anybody love like yard work, like love mowing? Like I think the smell of fresh cut grass is just, all right, couple big hands. This is like the best smell in the world, fresh cut grass. I love working in the yard. 
I just got to play in a bunch of trees in their yard and, and spend a lot of time. That's actually what I did a lot on sabbatical was outside and, and working in my yard. And um, my backyard, I'll be honest with you, it looks amazing. Like, it is beautiful. It is so green. This rain has been awesome. Like, it's got great shade. Like, we just planted some new trees. And there are hardly any weeds. There's a few dandelions, but we kind of like those. Cameron likes to pluck them. Like, it's great. My front yard is covered in thistles. Like there are so many thistles in my front yards. And, and to be honest with you, I don't feel like it's my fault. I have, I have aerated, I have seeded, I have watered, I have pulled weeds, I have sprayed them with my little dandelion doom spray, and they are just everywhere. Like I cannot get rid of them. And it has been driving me crazy for like the last three years. I'm like, where are all these weeds coming from? Why can I not get rid of them? Why are there so many thistles in my front yard? You can't walk in, you can't walk in thistles. It like pokes you. It's awful. So disappointing. This parable made me actually look into that a little bit this week. (laughs) It's like inception, right? It's like a story within a story. It's like weeds. And here's what I learned about thistles, is that they actually grow with root systems underneath the soil. And so I'm doing everything at a surface level. And what I also realized as I walked out in my front yard and looked to my left to my neighbor and looked to my right to my neighbor is that, that they have done nothing about the weeds in their yard. Like they, I mean, two feet tall, they're just letting them grow. They have, there are so many weeds there. And what I realized is that all of their weeds are coming up under the soil into mine. And there's nothing I can do about it. Like, unless I go pour, like, gasoline on their lawn, which I don't think you're allowed to do, like, I am always going to have weeds in my yard. And here's the thing. That doesn't cause me to just resign myself to that fact. I'm not just going to let the weeds take over. But it does adjust my expectations. Like, I'm never going to have a perfect yard without weeds. There will always be weeds in my yard. And I think Jesus is doing something similar in this parable. It's an adjustment of expectation. We shouldn't be surprised when we see weeds in the world. We shouldn't be surprised when no matter how hard we strive or the ways we try to participate in the kingdom of God, evil still exists. And it doesn't mean that we just resign ourselves to that. It doesn't mean we do nothing, but it's an adjustment of expectation. Because really, I think when Jesus is talking about the value in the kingdom, what we're supposed to do in the face of evil, and he tells us to not pull up the weeds, that's not about passivity. It's not about doing nothing. It's actually about final judgment. You see, what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God is a place where judgment is his, not ours where we don't get to decide what to do with the wheat and the weeds. That that ultimately, that's up to God. And so the kingdom of God is not a place where we get to take up arms and violence and try to root up the evil we see in the world. And in fact, one of the keys to unlocking this parable is to understand the type of weeds that Jesus is talking about. Here's actually a picture of the type of weeds Jesus is talking about. And what I want you to recognize is that one of these pictures is a picture of wheat, and the other is a picture of the weed Jesus is talking about. Can anyone tell the difference? You can? How do you know? From being in a wheat field? Okay, so do you know which one? Left is, is the wheat? All right, let's see the answer. That's all right. It's okay. 
See, one of the things I learned is that you actually, it's really difficult to tell the difference between the two in the moment because you actually can't tell the difference between Darnell, the type of weed Jesus is talking about, and wheat until it's ready for harvest. Because at harvest time, the weight and substance of the wheat begins to bow the wheat in the field. And the weed, which has no substance, no fruit to it, stands straight up. And if that's not a picture of the kingdom of God. And so what we see is Jesus in this parable saying, actually, sometimes it's really hard for the people of God to even make a judgment call about what is evil and what is good. And, and sometimes, let's be honest, we can look and we can say, that's evil. But what do we do about it? That's the trick. That's where we get into all these different ideologies and different beliefs about how we deal with the problem of evil. And, and what Jesus is saying in this parable is half the time you think the solution is something that ends up actually pulling up the good along with it. And it's as if Jesus is saying part of the enemy's strategy is, is Jesus really saying that the enemy's powerless to stop the wheat from growing. He's powerless to stop the kingdom from coming to fruition. But he can sow darkness. And his best option is to sow darkness and evil and allow the people of God to become so frustrated and flustered that they begin pulling things up themselves. See, I think one of the great temptations in the church is what a theologian might call an overrealized eschatology. And what I mean by that is that we look in Scripture and we see promises of what's to come in the next age and we try to make that happen now. And so we see promises that one day we will rule and reign with God in the new heavens and new earth. And we think, okay, let's just speed that timeline up. I'm tired of this evil. I'm tired of this bad stuff. I'm tired of the suffering. Let's make it happen now. But we do so through our own productivity, our own initiatives, our own movements, apart from the will and reign of the king. And it's in that place that it is so dangerous because we may not know what we are doing. And we may end up causing more harm than good. So it's not that we do nothing, but we have to recognize our limitation and that ultimate judgment is God's, not ours. Do we believe that? Is that the type of kingdom we want to be a part of? Where we don't get to pull up the weeds we think need pulled. Do we trust the promise of Jesus in this story that one day he will return? One day all things will be set right. One day the wheat and the weeds will be separated. And the weed will be burned up. All evil will be dealt with. And that we will be ushered into the presence of the kingdom of God. Do we believe that that is worth waiting for? And do we think we have a better plan? and a better timeline, and that we can make things happen on our own? I think that's the question Jesus is asking his followers to ponder. And that's the question I think I'll leave with all of us today. Because to be honest, I'm still wrestling through the implications of that. And so we're going to respond in a moment with a new song, and it's called Firm Foundation. And then hopefully it serves as a reminder that, yes, it is worth waiting for that reality and trusting those promises Believing that God is at work even when it seems like evil is winning. 
Is that the kind of kingdom that we are willing to follow? Are those the values we are willing to take on ourselves? So I would encourage you as we come into this last song, take whatever posture you may want, but, but, but ponder that question. You can sit, you can kneel, you can stand, you can sing along, you can listen to the words. But is that the type of kingdom that we want to be a part of? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, it's no accident that as Jesus tells these parables, he says, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. God, we recognize that, that understanding the truths and not just understanding but, but applying them, um, understanding how to live out the reality of your kingdom. God, it requires you opening our ears. So God, now I pray as we sit with this parable, as we look at this abstract painting, God, help us see the beauty. God, I pray that in the power of your spirit, you would open our hearts, our minds, our eyes, and our ears to see where the kingdom is at work. God, that we would see the truth and beauty of your kingdom. God, I pray that you would reveal to us places within our lives where we need to give ourselves more fully to you. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.